Now, the question I want to ask today as, I, as we teach about being Great Commission people is this, where, where did these people find their inspiration from? Were they just the traveling kind? And the answer, as Daniel put it very well for us, was this, that no, that there were people who were just arrested with the scandal of the gospel, the scandal of grace, and felt propelled in their hearts to go as God called them. And they became obedient to his word. And we're going to look at God's word today, and perhaps words that you might have read a thousand times, we're praying today that God will impress them in our hearts at the deepest level and change us and shape us and propel us forward in his purposes together. So, Lord Jesus, help us as we look at your word today, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's read these verses that we've read the last two weeks together. Uh, we'll read verses 16 to 20. We won't read them together. I'll read them out, but we've, we've, you know what I mean. Okay. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He'd risen from the dead. He was about to ascend to the Father. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, as you read that, if you were reading that in Greek, you'd notice that there was four alls, and, and you can probably spot them as we look at it. But Jesus, first of all, said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he gave him this commission. He said, he said I want all of the nations to have an opportunity to respond to the good news about Jesus. And then he said, I want you to teach them all things that I've commanded you, everything. And then he says, I'm going to be with you for all of days till the end of time to help you do this. To be a Christian is to worship Jesus with your all, knowing that he has all authority. It's to move into all of his purposes. It's to do everything that he says and to make our lives fully available to him. And it's to know that his power, the fullness of his power is with us to the very end of the age. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Sometimes in a post-pandemic world, we say, well, do I have to come to church every week? I, I seem to get by if I just come once a, once a month or something. Well, we're not about attendance at church here. We're about moving into the plans and purposes of God for our lives. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. But I love that Matthew is just honest about the situation. This is prefaced not with 11 zealous, smart, hungry people who are saying, what do you want us to do, Jesus? It says some of them were doubtful. The word means hesitant, fearful. Some of them were standing there saying, really, Jesus? If you find yourself today feeling hesitant, if you today you're standing in worship and you're thinking, oh, what, what? Perhaps you've had times in your life where you felt, no, I've, I've been in a better place with God. But perhaps you've been feeling a little bit estranged recently and a bit distant and unsure of things. I want you to know you're in great company and that Jesus isn't put off by you. He's attracted to you. And actually, he steps towards you. 
And he doesn't accept your hesitancy or your fear or your doubt as being the final word. And you'll see that actually these guys, they went on to do great things. And I know, therefore, there's great encouragement for you and I today, even when we're feeling hesitant, that Jesus has a plan for us. Jesus answers their hesitancy with his assertiveness. He counters their doubt with his clarity. He helps their timidity with his audacity. They are tentative. He is sure. They are skeptical. He is certain. They feel inadequate. He says, I'm enough. (laughs) History will tell us who won the encounter between the doubters and the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus wins out in your life and mine. And if you're in that place, I want to encourage you to engage in the place of prayer. I want to encourage you to come to our one-hour prayer meeting tonight. Some, we, somebody said last week, said, oh, I didn't believe it would last for an hour. It, did, it does. It lasts for an hour. It's not a church leader hour. It's a real hour, okay? <laughs> it will finish at half past seven. Come, pray, be filled with the Spirit, and let's pray and petition God for the nations of the world. Um, it, when we hang out with Jesus, he fills us with his confidence Um, So we've just heard from Daniel, who has gone to the nations, and I want us to learn in these next few minutes about God's plan for the nations, because God wants to put the nations in our hearts just like they are in his. Some of you here today are from another nation. That is, that you're not from a United Kingdom nation. You've come here, and I I think in, in a wonderful way, you're reflecting something of the heart of God to us in terms of the mobility that he wants to put into our lives and hearts. If you're from a a nation that is not a United Kingdom nation, if you've had to cross water to get to the UK, if if your first language isn't English, just raise your hand. I'd I'd love us just to, to, brilliant, brilliant, wow, loads, amazing. You are prophetic to us. And we're so grateful that you're here because church is never meant to be a a, a monoculture. It's meant to be a, a beautiful blend of the people of God from every tribe, language, and nation. We're so glad you're here. You're so, we're so thrilled. You know, God is going to meet your every need as you live for him in a country far from where you were born. And he's going to help you, and he's going to give you friends and family right here. I'm praying that for you. So, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What is he talking about? What does Jesus mean by nations? That seems like a good question to ask, doesn't it? Yeah, great question, Dan. Another good question, right there, okay. <laughs> God, you're, you're less responsive than Daniel was, I tell you. Okay, <laughs> so the Greek word for nations is, is the word ethnos, and it, it means nations, but it also means much more than that. It, it means peoples. It means people groups of the earth. If you were to count on a world map, I didn't, I looked on Wikipedia, there's 193 nations in the world, all the different colored squares you get. Now, if you, to actually count how many people groups there were in the world, how many ethnos, the answer is between 12,000 and 16,000. And this map, somebody's had a bit of a go at it, even that doesn't really show, but you'll see national boundaries are broken into, well, here's where certain different people groups have majority groupings. And now, of course, people groups can be spread all over the world. Some are scattered, some are gathered, some traverse national boundaries. Some don't have a homeland to call of their own. But here's the wonderful thing Jesus is saying, look, I know all about those peoples. 
I know about those nations. I see them as nations. Even if they don't have a homeland, Jesus sees them. And he's commissioning his followers to go. Jesus doesn't see national boundaries. He doesn't see places simply as Japan or China or France. He sees peoples like the Fulani, the Uyghurs, the Salah, the Dalit. Now, this is a great commission, therefore. It's not just 193 countries. It's tens of thousands of peoples that he's commissioning these 11 people to go and reach for the gospel. And something of the magnitude of, us, of, of that should impress us today. And I want us to see that there were four, there's four biblical things that, that underlie this great commission in terms of the bigness, the, the hugeness of, of what we're believing. So first of all, so the first one is there's a big promise. Secondly, there's a big prayer. Thirdly, there's a big prerequisite. I'll explain that. And fourthly, there's a big picture. So firstly, the big promise. When God called a pagan called Abraham, who didn't know him, and he said, Abraham, you're going to know me. <laughs> and, and he said, all of the nations of the world will be blessed through you, through your offspring. Now, that offspring, he had a son called Isaac. He couldn't ha they couldn't have children, him and Sarah, but there was a miracle, and they had a child called Isaac, who had a child called uh, Isaac, who became uh, Israel, who became uh, Israel, Jacob, who became Israel. And uh, we got there. And then the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and down the tribes of Israel came Jesus, born of Mary, the Savior of the world. The offspring of Abraham is Jesus through whom the nations of the world are blessed. It says that in Galatians 3. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So there's a promise overarching the whole of Scripture that there's a plan for the nations of the world. When we look at the mess in the nations of the world, I'm so glad that God has a plan. And it's worth noting that it's a plan of blessing. Sometimes in the sort of world we live in, in this century, we, we, we're so used to the idea of, well, when, when, when Jesus says, go into all the world, it, it can, we can have sort of metaphors of like military, of conquest. And we say, oh, I don't like conquest, that's military. And it's, or we can have images of, of like the business world, of franchising. You know, go into the world and set up places a bit like this. That's not what Jesus was saying. He said, Guys, there's a plan to bless the nations. And it's the plan of family. It's the plan of reproducing a family all over the world. It's not about power. It's about life. When you hold a baby in your arms, you say, what a blessing. And Jesus is saying, when people perceive who Jesus is and the gift of the gospel, they'll say, what a blessing. And it's a gift to be given to all the peoples of the world. Here's uh, the, the second big thing that there's a big prayer, there's a big ask. Um, in, in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 4, Jesus, uh, they, they, they hit some persecution, the early believers, and they quote this psalm when they're praying to God. Psalm 2, 
because people are conspiring against them and conspiring against Jesus. And they're saying, look, who are these rulers who conspire against the Lord's anointed? They're quoting Psalm 2. Therefore, we know Psalm 2 is a psalm that, although it was written about a human king, is actually written about Jesus. And we can read Psalm 2 as if it's about Jesus. And this is what, uh, this is what Psalm 2 says. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. God said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So here's the picture in Psalm 2. It's of the father saying to the son, I want you to ask me for something. And the son says, what? He says, I want you to ask me for all of the nations of earth, and I want to give them to you. Now, some of you are young parents here. Some of you are used to your children asking you for stuff all of the time, and your answer is always, no. <laughs> no, 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 not yet, maybe tomorrow, perhaps on your birthday. Okay, that's, that's young parents speak. But as your kids grow older, and as that becomes a little bit more manageable, here's the thing, my, my oldest child, Jackie, went to, to university last week, and, and uh, it's kind of the other way around now. I'm sort of texting him, saying, hey, Jack, you need anything? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Just... Still here, just, just let me know if you need anything, Jack. <laughs> says, I'm fine, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but the truth is this. Jesus said, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, human beings, we love our kids. We, we want our kids to have a good education. We want them to have a good upbringing. We want them to have good friendships. We want them to do well in their life, even if we're not the best motivated sometimes. Well, God the Father says to God the Son, Son, I really want you to ask me for something, because there's something I really want to give to you. And it's all the peoples of the earth, as people who are saved by grace and brought into the family of God. Do you think that's a, a prayer that God the Father is going to answer when God the Son prays it? I think he is, because it was his idea. So it's a, there's a big prayer that Jesus prays and, and is answered. Here's the third uh, the, the third one. Here we go. The, the big prerequisite. I was struggling for the P, you can, you can tell. So, who wants Jesus to come again? <laughs> Some? I was hoping for a few more. Right. Yeah, we all do. If you're a Christian, you want Jesus to come again because the world's a mess, and when Jesus comes, he's going to put all things right, and we're going to be with him forever. It's going to be amazing. When Jesus comes again... Now, the Spirit and the bride say, come. There's a longing in our hearts, but Jesus said this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What's the prerequisite for Jesus coming again? The good news about Jesus going to all the peoples of the earth. And we're saying, Lord, come. Lord, come. We want you to come. And he's saying, not quite there yet. Not quite ready. I'm still answering the prayers. 2 Peter 3. Peter seems to indicate that we have a vital role to play in this. Clearly, in God's sovereignty, he set a time and a place and all of those things. But he says, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Wow. That should mean that we're integrally involved. Now, if we don't do it, God will find somebody else. But he wants us to be those who step forward into his plans. Here's the fourth thing, the big picture. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, ethnos, 
every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The verses before, he's talked about the fullness of, the, of Israel coming in. And now he, he looks at this vast crowd that outnumbers all of Israel. And he says, look, look at this vast crowd. And it's the picture of the end of time. And it's the picture that will surely happen. Every tribe, tongue, language, nation. This is what the early believers had put into their hearts. This is what going people have in their hearts. Read these scriptures, feed on them. Because we need to grasp what it means to love the nations. Next slide, please, Dave. Thank you. Uh, uh, oh, was there one? I think there was one before that, wasn't there? Okay. Is there not one before that? Not, not that slide, please, Dave. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> So God wants us to, he, he wants us to grow a heart for the nation. Sorry, no, it is that one. Um, and, uh, wow. Um, so the, they didn't see themselves as nation's people. Most of you here have a passport. Put your hand up if you have a passport. Not, I mean, you might, pretty much all of us, I'm guessing. These guys were fishermen from Galilee. A big day out for them was Jerusalem. They'd never been anywhere else. They didn't have an international worldview. They didn't live in a globalized world. They needed help to get it. When Jesus stood on a mountain and said nations, they only had two understandings of nations. One was the nation of Israel, and two was everywhere else. In fact, they used to read scriptures like Psalm 33 that says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. So, thank you, Lord. You love us. We're a blessed nation. But they didn't read ahead to understand the purpose of that blessing was that Israel should be a conduit of God's blessing to the world. So they'd read Psalm 67. Here we go now, Dave. We're on to this slide now. Okay. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And they'd sing this together. You'll see the little B there. Does anybody know what the footnote says in your Bible? Anybody? Anybody? You, you, nobody's got the Bible here. Come on. Anybody? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think. No. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, uh, sorry. It's not a cross-reference. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word that they've omitted from the text, and they've just... Selah. Selah. Thank you, yeah. Um, so, um, you're right, it's a high priestly blessing from, from Deuteronomy. Thank you, Rachel, yeah. But the, the B, it, it's a Hebrew word, selah. They, they often don't include it because it's like, well, we're not quite sure what it means. It seems to appear repeatedly in the Psalms. And the gist of it seems to be like, well, let's just have a think about that for a minute. Let's pause. Let's reflect. Now, many of us, and, and, and those guys, when, when they prayed this prayer, they, they had an inclination to stop. Rather than pause, they would say, God, be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You know, as a Christian, you can do the same. You can say, me and my, Lord, bless me, bless my family, bless my children, bless my relationships, bless my career, bless my job, bless the place I'm going. Nothing wrong with that. God loves it when we ask him for stuff, right? He loves to answer our prayers. He loves it when we call to him. But when we've done that, we don't stop. We pause. 
And if we're getting it right, we begin to think in the same way that God chooses to bless us, he wants to bless the nations of the world. Verse 2, so that, so after the pause, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. God's blessing on your life is prophetic of his plan to bless the nations of the world. So, as a Christian, you will move in and out of this, the, the bless me thing. I know Matt Redman once uh, commented on modern, more modern worship songs. He said, he said, there's a lot of worship songs these days written in the format of me, myself, and I. He says, let's write more songs about God and his plan. Even the early disciples would ask random questions sometimes, like in Acts 2, James and John said to Jesus, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I think... Uh, if they did emojis back then, this might have been Jesus' response as he kind of <laughs> calmly said to them, it's not for you to know and get on with the job of telling the world about Jesus. <laughs> when you were born again, your birth passport became of second importance to your kingdom passport. God wants to give you a heart for his kingdom which transcends all political boundaries and nations. So how can we do this? How can we implement this in our lives in these last uh, few moments together before we respond? Firstly, we can respond expectantly. So the cross transcends every culture, every age, every stage, every political divide. That means that as Christians, we're not called to just hang out in like-minded, like-looking groups. That's kind of a worldly philosophy. Find some people who think the same as you and look the same as you. And no, In church life and in our mentality as believers, anytime we see somebody who's a bit different to us, there should be something in us that says, great commission opportunity. In church life, it looks like being a diverse church, and we love that. We want to be that more and more. In day-to-day -day life, it means having a great commission mindset. It means thinking, you know what, I've just met somebody who I've never met before, and is from a different place and a different background, they're a different age, different stage, they live somewhere different, they came from a different country. Therefore, I wonder if Jesus is asking me to share the gospel with them. Um, I'm trying to get better at this, I'm not good at this, but Guy told me that I should share stories of times when I try, because <laughs> he said that might inspire people. So, uh, I was in a taxi this week, we were down in London at this, this, this prayer event, and... Um, and uh, the other guy said, left me the front seat next to the taxi driver, which was very kind of them. I think it was for the extra leg room, perhaps. Um, and uh, anyway, I got chatting to this guy. It was an hour-long taxi journey. And I said, what's your name? We shared names. And, and I, he, said, he said, Imran. I said, what have you been doing today? He said, oh, I've been to the mosque. And we got chatting. And I said, well, are you, you know, are you a Muslim? He says, yeah. He says, I said, are you, are you very devout? Do you take that very seriously? He said, I'm very devout. He said, I, I, go to, I pray several times a day. He says, if I'm on an Uber journey and, I, and it's the time of prayer, I will get out of the car and I'll put my mat on the pavement and I will stop the journey and I will pray. I said, wow, that's very committed. I said, do you do the five pillars of Islam? And he said, yeah. I said, have you been to Mecca on pilgrimage? He says, yeah, I've been to Mecca twice. I said, wow. I said, you are deeply, deeply devoted. I can see that. And, um, and I asked him a question. And I said, because I wanted to share my faith with him. And, and he really wanted to talk as well, I could tell that. So um, I said, 
I said, Imran, if, if you were to die tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven? Would God accept you? And it, it wasn't a totally theoretical question because, to be honest, he insisted on making eye contact with me for the whole journey <laughs> while he was driving the car along the M25. And uh, on more than one occasion, I, I, I kind of had to say, I, I think that car's pulling out. And he says, yes, I know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I said, would, would you go to heaven if you died tonight? And, and he said, well, I can't be sure of that because it depends on how I've done. And I, and I, 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 I just prayed and I gave God an opportunity. And I said, well, I said, can, I said I'm a follower of Jesus. Can, can I share the hope that I have? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I said, I, I can answer that question with clarity and certainty that if I was to die tonight, I know that Jesus will accept me, that God will welcome me. Because it's not about what I've done, it's about what Jesus has done when he died on a cross for the things that I've done wrong. I said, that's the hope I have. And we, we went on and we argued back and forth and it was, it was a long conversation and he gave me some books to read and I suggested a book for him to read. And, and it was just a moment where I thought, well, maybe God wants to use this. Maybe there's people that you'll meet this week who you might get a chance to say, can I just share something that I believe that's really important to me? So we're expectant. Secondly, we, let, let's think locally. You know, 500 people from Hong Kong have arrived, maybe more in the last year or so into Edinburgh. Napier University, just around the corner from us, has over 140 nationalities studying there. Apparently, the top three demographics from there are from some of the most persecuted countries on Earth. Uh, I came across these statistics. If you could put that next slide up, please. This is from some, some stats in, in Edinburgh. The countries accounting for most Edinburgh residents from overseas are Poland, Ireland, China, India, Pakistan, United States, they get everywhere, yeah? Germany, Australia, France, Spain, South Africa, Canada. Interestingly, 47% of non-born UK population in the city are of European origin. This is the highest percentage of any UK city. Isn't that amazing? God's called the nations here. Perhaps he wants us to share the good news of Jesus with the people that we meet day to day. Here's the third response we can make. Prayer, prayerful. We've talked about prayer already. If you've never come across the book Operation World or downloaded the free app on your phone called Operation World, it's a brilliant resource because it, it gives you a country of the world every day. It gives you some things from a Christian point of view that you can pray for, and it tells you about the people groups of that land who you could be active in praying for. Fourthly, uh, be strategic, be global. If we're moving across the world, most of us are embedded here for a while. We're not just free to up sticks and go somewhere else tomorrow. We've got things, we've got kids, we've got, uh, we've got jobs. What does God want us to do? If, we, if he's calling us, if he's nudging us, then it's so important that we take time to weigh that like Daniel did, to make connections, to hear God, to weigh things with others, to talk about it, to get wisdom, to see who God is bringing around you. We're part of a group called New Frontiers Wider. It's in 70 countries around the world. And that, that, that means that probably somebody, if God's calling you to a place, to another place, it's probably likely that somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who might be able to help. So get in touch and we can help connect you if God is calling you to another nation. We need to wrap things up 
in just a moment. Um, Dara, could we, could we sing that song just to finish? Is that okay? And uh, Isaiah 2, here's the prophetic picture. In the last days, the last days isn't some future thing, by the way. Biblically, the last days began at the day of Pentecost because they prophesied, he said, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. We're in the last days for the last 2,000 years. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Here's the picture. It's not of a place in Jerusalem. It's of the dwelling place of God on the earth, which is his church. And it's a place where the nations come to worship and gather to worship. That's what he's calling kings to be. It's what he's calling us to be involved with. It's what he's calling us across the world to be involved in pioneering. That Psalm 67 that we read a moment ago, it started, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And then it goes on in verse four to say, may the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Here's what happens when people come to know Jesus. They become worshippers. Mission isn't an end to itself. It's, it's, it's because mission exists because worship doesn't. That's what John Piper said. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not private or tribal or national or an ethnic privilege. It's for all people. And that's why we go, because we've tasted the joy of worshipping Jesus. And we want all the families of the earth included. So it begins with a promise for the nations. It, it ends with a multitude from every tribe, nation, and language worshipping Jesus. I think we should take a moment right now to give our hearts to him in worship. Every step of the Great Commission is a singing, worshipping step. Let's stand together. And let's come before him. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Let it achieve all that you've called it to do. Amen.